Episode 284, When Prescribers Know How Much a Drug Will Cost Patients at the Point of Prescribing. Today, I speak with Carm Huntress from Rx Review. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. There is a transparency zeitgeist kicking off right about now. In June was the biggie, the one where health systems now have to divulge their contracted rates with insurance carriers starting January 1st, 2021. But this zeitgeist is flowing into drug prices as well. SureScripts just released their real-time prescription price transparency tool. This price transparency tool allows detailed costs and alternative drug information to be seen in real time. SureScripts, by the way, is owned by several large PBMs. Can the prescriber see how much drugs will cost the patient as they are writing the prescription? The answer is yes, if that prescriber is using a tool to display the prices in their EHR or e-prescribing system. That is pretty cool and could save a whole lot of rigmarole and time for both the prescriber and the patient, who doesn't now have to go the whole way over to the pharmacy to figure out the drug price is unaffordable. I just want to bring up one point to be aware of. SureScripts is, as Afer mentioned, owned by some PBMs. PBMs are not exactly nonprofits. They do a great job for their shareholders collecting middleman dollars from pharma and pharmacies and patients alike. The copay amount a patient pays is a decision that is made in many cases, by a PBM. So showing the PBM set patient price at the point of care to doctors increases PBM leverage in conversations with at least pharma. You see what I mean? Maybe that's good if the PBM actually takes the dollars it shakes out of pharma and gives it to employers or the patient, the government, or pays pharmacies they don't own fairly. Maybe it's bad if the PBM uses its additional leverage to, I don't know, start its own GPO in Switzerland. Wait, what? Yeah, that happens. All I'm saying is, this is a tangled web we weave with implications for pharma, pharma's PBM negotiations, pharmacies and patients as patients and also patients as members of plants. Here's a really important point that I need to make. Nobody in the healthcare industry is conflict-free. Not PBMs, not IDNs, not you, not me. I love transparency, and I love sparing doctors and clinicians administrative burden. If I were a provider organization, I would definitely use this tool. But here's what I need to say. In addition to transparency showing the copay of a drug and the best pharmacy to get it at, these systems also make transparent the underlying levers of the system itself, if you look at them in a kind of pattern-wise way. So if I'm a doctor and I find it weird that the lowest price is always at the pharmacy owned by a PBM, for example, yeah, it's up to you to start asking questions. My hope is that everyone sticks with the spirit of the endeavor and, you know, gets to the heart and the potential of transparency and chooses the path that benefits the patient the most. And to that end, I am speaking today with Carm Huntress, who is the CEO and founder of RX Review. We talk a lot today about how showing prescribers how much drugs cost can really help patients avoid financial toxicity and or a whole lot of running around getting prescriptions changed to drugs that are on formulary. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Carm Huntress, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you so much for having me. 
So if I am a physician and I am trying to prescribe a med, the way that I'm understanding that it has been in the past is kind of a little bit of like a trial and error stream of action. You know, like doctor's like, I'm going to choose this one. Patient goes to pharmacy. Oh, that one's $400. Patient freaks out. I can't afford that pharmacist. Pharmacist is like, oh, I don't know. Maybe this one. You got to go back to your doctor and get a different script. You know, and the doctor's like, okay, I guess that one. So it's a protracted way to find out what actually is on the insurance that in no way, shape or form does not improve the anything that's going on clinically with the patient. It's just basically a pain for no particular reason. Yeah, I mean, doctors today, what the studies have shown is doctors tend to just fall back to what they learned in residency as sort of the core set of drugs that they tend to prescribe. They tend to know that they work. They understand the mechanism of action and and how patients, for the most part, respond to them. So you got to think about a provider's day, right? 20 patients, they're very quick. They only have seven minutes per visit. They're just going to go to what they know. And on top of that, the data that they've had to date, which is usually what's called just sort of standard formulary and benefit information, it's static data that doesn't get updated very often and therefore it tends to be inaccurate. So even the pricing data they've had up to date has been inaccurate. And and if all the studies have shown, doctors don't even trust the data. That's how bad it's gotten in the industry. And that's why this evolution of real-time benefit is so significant when you can get down to that patient-specific individual cost of what they really pay at the pharmacy. Relative to the transparency, so if we talk about transparency, the idea of transparency, many have said that if you don't have, you know, like part of the definition of a transaction is that all parties know how much it costs prior to the transaction going down, right? The physician doesn't know how much the drug costs, but is effectively, you know, placing the order for it, then it inhibits the ability to make good decision makings. I mean, you know, value is obviously benefit divided by cost, as we all know from Economics 101. So you can't make really a value assessment. Is that kind of how you're thinking about this? When I kind of step back and say globally, what's the macro thing that we want to happen here? And the answer is we want transparency. I think there's so much evidence with the internet and what it's done to bring value forward for consumers and make a transparent experience. And I think the challenge when you get into healthcare, especially with prescription drugs, is you've got this weird If you said it was a consumer experience, it's not quite because your doctor is making the purchasing decision on behalf of you as the consumer. But the answer is yes. You know, we need to drive transparency to really transform this industry. Living with the world that we've had of this opaqueness is just, you know, I think we've all seen the bad behavior in the headlines. Generic prices just being priced at whatever they want because they can skyrocketing costs of these new therapies. You know, we're talking now million dollar therapies. And we've got to get into a world of transparency with justification of those types of price tags. Well, let me bring up something because there's a lot of employers that listen to this show and I know what they're thinking right now. So I'm going to ask you their question. You've got a, there's middlemen that are involved in this whole operation. So let's just say there's one really expensive drug right? It's the brand name that just came onto the market. And that brand name drug has paid a lot of money to get on formulary at a low tier. So the consumer pays a smaller amount, like their copay might be reasonable, but the plan pays a huge nut. And there might be a generic that, you know, there's the Duexis is the example that everybody uses, where it's basically just two generics jammed together and it costs $2,000. And you could buy an Advil and a PPI for 20 
for a month. So does this actually police PBM formularies and enable PBMs even more leverage than when the situation was opaque? Stacey, the way I look at this is really where we are today. Where we are today, and we spent a lot of the time early in, in this business looking at the how efficacious a drug is compared to alternatives, and, and that's a great example where you should just be taking Advil. I think we've got to remember we're just getting to the point now where doctors know what the price is and they can compare the price. The next big phase, and we're starting to see some of this come out of CMS uh, and HHS, and where they're really starting to look at value-based contracts with manufacturers Um, The PBMs are starting to lean in this. And I think ultimately employees are going to want this as well, where they're saying, look, I'm willing to pay you a half a million dollars for this therapy, but it better work. And I think those are the areas we're going to start to see that evolution. But I look at this as a phased approach. Today, it's really about let's get transparency. Let's just get almost, you know, I'd say almost half the time. There's probably a cost saving opportunity just to get the drug, the patient on an equivalent drug or maybe a different dose that's less expensive or a different pharmacy or switch it from 30 to 90 day. And that can save the consumers a ton of money. There's billions of dollars of opportunity today. And then I think as we make the market more transparent, the ability to move into value will emerge. And we're starting to see that. And that's really where we have to head as the next big evolution beyond our TBC. But I think this is just a step phase to that ultimate goal because that's what an employer wants, right? An employer wants to say, hey, I'm willing to make this investment, but I want value, right? I want an outcome that's superior against all the other options to make an investment that's, I don't know, sometimes 10 times as much as the alternatives. And I think that's the world we're headed into. Let me ask you a question, Carm. See, there's two drugs and they, let's just make them equivalent, right? They're equivalent clinically and the price to the plan, the ultimate price to the plan is exactly the same, say, or the AWP is exactly the same, right? But one of them, the patient cost is a lot higher than the other, you know, like they're not on formulary or something. Is there anybody in the supply chain that loses besides the patient. You know what I mean? Like if I'm a prescriber and I, I prescribe the, the, the drug that is the higher price to the patient, is it only the patient that's paying extra or there, is there another stakeholder somewhere along the line that also, you know, for lack of a better term, winds up getting the short end of the stick? There's a couple things that happen when you, you look at higher cost alternatives. The payer or the employer that is going to be a challenge. And the reason is, is because of the administrative burden or potentially the non-adherence by the patient. So when you look at non-adherence rates, about a third of patients not filling their drug is due to cost issues. Driving down cost, getting to the lowest cost option is really important. And the patient and the, the employer plan can lose out in that situation. I mean, I also say it goes all the way back to the manufacturer where the if the patient doesn't fill it, you know, nobody's earning any dollars right in that equation. So the manufacturer wants to get this priced at a, at a point the patient can afford. And then the last thing I'd say is that if the patient says, hey, look, I can't afford this, they might go all the way back to their doctor and try to start over. And this studies basically show about $15,000 of costs per year per doctor in the U.S. dealing with pharmacy callbacks. And these types of issues, whether it's high cost or a prior authorization or other types of administrative things like a not covered drug to to getting the patient on a covered drug. So there's lots of people who lose out when we don't get the cost equation right for patients. And that's what we really have to rationalize and drive really these type of technologies to the point of care to make sure that these decisions get made in a rational way 
at the lowest possible cost. And is that why physicians, or, or another reason why physicians appreciate having this transparent information available at the point of sale, not only because they're you know helping a patient find the best price for them, but also because it, based on what you're saying, it could save them a whole lot of PA, avoidable hassle. Yeah, there's a couple big components here for doctors. I think the first one is just time and administrative headache. We're trying to drive less clicks to the right option to ultimately get the patient on a drug they can afford. If we can avoid the, a prior authorization for the doctor and his staff to fill out, that is significant. I mean, so right now about for every doctor, 20 hours of clinical staff time is consumed every week doing administrative tasks like prior authorizations or medication-related stuff, 20 hours. If we can free up time for the doctor and their staff to not have to do that work, that is huge. And that's probably the number one thing doctors get out of this is just administrative benefit and making them and their staff more efficient. Second to that is really patient satisfaction. Now, we're careful in that we're trying not to sort of turn doctors into personal shoppers, even though I, I will tell you, we do see this behavior. We'll, we'll actually see doctors really you know, sort of exploring in the benefit and looking up other drugs, looking up at different quantities. We, we have seen that behavior before. But the point is from a patient satisfaction is what we get back from the sort of the patient doctor interaction is you wouldn't believe this patient came in. There was $200 for this drug. I got it down to 20 looking at an alternative. And then the patient came back and said, that's exactly what they paid at the pharmacy. That is a wonderful experience for the provider and the patient that they've never had before. Like they never can have that rational discussion about cost. Or the other thing that happens is, hey, I can't afford this. Let's go look at it, right? And just having that immediate access to that information, opposed to saying, hey, I don't know, go to the pharmacy and figure it out, right? And then get back to me. Dealing with those things up front is really what we're helping providers do. Is there any downside to transparency? Like, for example, there's been a lot of talk, you know, specifically the AHA came out strongly against transparency of hospital pricing. They said it would inhibit competition and make prices go up. You had the the drug industry not super happy about putting prices on ads because they were saying like, too many variables. You know what I mean? Like, I think that may be the only thing hanging out there is that it may not be accurate or actually what the patient will pay. Like if, if we just got pharmaceutical companies to put out their list price, I mean, obviously, if you are on an insured benefit and you have co-pays, even co-insurance, you're not going to pay that full list price for that drug. But we've got to just back up and say, what do we, you know, what do you want as a consumer? What do we want as consumers? What do we want as employers? The answer is we want transparency. We want to understand these costs and it's directionally right. I think we got to be careful not to fall into traps of where there's a lot of inaccuracy or just misinformation around transparency and really driving at these types of services, patient-specific, plan-specific, down to the penny. What are you going to pay when you get to that pharmacy counter? So that's the only major concern I have about these moves of driving transparency, but directionally, it's right. You know, so speaking of consumerism and the and the patient and every other industry on the planet, there is one stark difference between healthcare and every other industry on the planet. I'm going to say one, but not limited to. <laughs> and the one that I'm talking about is that in most other industries, the more expensive thing is the best thing. So like if I want the best pocketbook, I'm going to buy the really expensive one, theoretically. But in healthcare, do we have patients like, well, I don't want the $20 drug because that's not the best one. I should go with a $200 one because I care about my child's health or something. 
This is the sort of, I think, the great rationalization. We're, we're in a very early phase of this type of rationalization. I think, to your point, healthcare is just incredibly complex. And I think this is the difference between if I'm going to buy something on Amazon, it's easy to compare alternatives. With healthcare, it's so patient-specific, everything from the drug, how often you have to take it, socioeconomic factors, side effects, plan design, right? All these things come into the equation. Where we're headed is as more data gets collected around these drugs, and, and what's starting to happen in the industry is real-world evidence. And so what we're heading in a world, I think, that's going to come here is some of these things are really going to get rationalized because they sort of, you know, they get the drug out there. They do FDA approvals. They've gone through all the phases. But now we're getting into what, how are patients really doing in the real world on these drugs? And more and more of these studies are showing that a lot of these drugs are incremental in benefit and they're not really game changer drugs. And the price tag is totally inaccurate. PCSK9 is a good example. It had great clinical studies, then it got to the real world, and it just it did not move the dial as much as people hoped. I think that rationalization is going to come as we get more data, as we get more real-world evidence, and I think as more and more people think about value. So as those two things converge, I think we're going to see a future where those things will get rationalized, and I can say, okay, well, I got to pay 10 times as much, but I can really look at the clinical outcomes to people like me and make sense of that. But again, I think this is a years long endeavor because of the complexity of healthcare. What do pharma companies think about this? Is it sort of a frightening construct, the idea (laughs) of transparency? Well, I would say for the majority of them, they're waking up to the new world. I mean, this idea that they can just put pharma reps out there and they can gain access into doctor's offices and get them you know, their best evidence and sort of influence dot providers that way, that world is really gone. More and more pharma companies are opening up their minds to sort of digital and this new world. I think the hesitation is this transition from the old to the new, which is I've spent all this time negotiating with the plan to get my drug on a certain tier or the certain copay, right? And you know, I'm trying to drive a certain volume and it's been very negotiated. And then real-time benefit comes along and it's sort of rationalizing down to the penny and producing therapeutic alternatives that may be in a different tier or whatever, but have a, a better cost for that patient, and therefore sort of changing the how I'm working with the plans. And we're starting to hear more and more of that. But I think that's where the friction, because people are going to say, I want to hold on to that old way of doing it, because I know it, and it's understood, and I can sort of maintain that those relationships. You know, Manufacturers are just going to have to go through this sort of tough transition to say, okay, how do I rationalize my drug against alternatives in a real cost way with real-time benefit. But that's where I think it's really going to end up is, is you know, we are going to have to transition to this new world and manufacturers are going to get used to it. But they're, I think they're more receptive now with how much the industry has changed and become digital and EHRs are the norm now. And they really get that the doctors are in these prescribing workflows and the evidence is changing and we're moving into a real-world environment. I think all those factors are really opening up manufacturers' eyes to this. And and we do talk, I mean, I've had a ton of conversations with manufacturers about their desire to move to value. A lot of them actually do want to start constructing those relationships. And I think that will help drive some of the right behavior by all parties and get manufacturers more into this real-time digital world that we all want. If I'm going to play the role of a, of a pharma exec right now, I could argue 
that showing the copay, not the total cost of the drug, but showing the copay at the point of care, you know, to the prescriber and, you know, ultimately the, you know, the patient who's paying the copay, that what this does is it increases the leverage that a PBM has because obviously the copay is determined by the patient's pharmacy benefit. So if I don't have the opportunity to talk to the prescriber and communicate the great advantages of my product because it's a do not see situation and they're making decisions based on the amount of the copay and the PBM is dictating the copay, you know, Mm -hmm. like this could be something that a pharma company feels is that reduces their leverage and not necessarily at the best interest of the patient. Yeah. And I think you're, you're spot on on where the industry is going to have to evolve here. You know, the parties are going to have to get, get, get together and really look at well, not the total cost, but what's the patient cost? What are the alternatives and how am I living alongside those alternatives? And I think manufacturers need to wake up to that and they need to come into the conversation asking for that data and hopefully having a rational conversation. I think the one thing they kind of have going for them is that patient copays tend to be aligned with the total cost. Remember, we've had a dramatic shift in consumer-driven healthcare, right? Less and less of your employers covering the cost and more and more of the, you know, the patient, the consumer, the employee is covering that cost where you've got co-insurance, you've got cash tiers, you've got much higher deductibles. And all that is driving this sort of consumer, a different consumer behavior and, and a much more watchful eye on those costs. I think it's just going to be a matter of a manufacturer's coming in and say, hey, I understand this capability is out to doctors. It's available. I want to understand how this is really hitting the provider at the point of care at what price point and what are the alternatives there and what are those priced at? I want to have that discussion. And I think that's the sophistication manufacturers are going to have to gain in as they think about renegotiating you know, their formulary design and that relationship with their payer employer partners. I think one of the things, or even the PBMs for that matter, I think one of the things that's super interesting is, you know, this whole idea of formulary and benefit. A lot of people don't understand the history of this thing. That just came out of inpatient prescribing. It wasn't a thing that was invented by the PBMs. They basically said hospitals had a formulary of the drugs they covered for inpatient visits, and they just duplicated that to the outpatient side and you know, put a plan on the top of it to pay for the costs. And that, in my mind, was like not really ground up thinking. That was duplicating something that worked really good for inpatient prescribing because they wanted to say to doctors, these are the drugs we have in the in-house pharmacy. And here's where they're covered and kind of the cost and you know the different tiers to just make it simple on doctors. And they duplicated that to outpatient prescribing, which really isn't the right thing. If you thought of a ground up type thing, you'd probably think about a lot more customization, a lot more variability and sort of tiering and copays and weird stuff like that probably would not have come to be. And I think we're kind of in this sort of rebuilding of that whole infrastructure and rethinking what is a really plan employer and employee relationship around the pharmacy benefit and how should it be paid for? And can we have that discussion? And what should those things look like? And I think that's something that's really going to have to change and as real-time benefit becomes the norm in the industry in the next few years. Yeah, so if we're thinking about the goal, that's very interesting. And if we're thinking about the goal of, you know, just let's just say point of care transparency, you know, one of them is obviously, as we've been talking about quite a bit, to inform prior to going through a whole lot of unnecessary rigmarole, like here's the price of the drug which enables a patient to make and a prescriber to make good choices without the, you know, the agita. 
But the other point that I'm hearing you make implicitly is by having the price transparent at the point of care, it also enables frictionless competition, if you will, between different agents that are in the same market basket or are indicated for the same clinical condition. So if there's three agents and one of them is way more expensive than the other three, then obviously their market share is going to go down and you've got the old supply and demand curve, then, you know, maybe they would be inspired to lower their price. Or is that your thinking? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, this is the whole thing. I just look at history, right? And due to transparency and and good competition and those things being there, it drives down the cost of everything we have in our life. We're going to see more price competition. We might see prices come down, right? Because it's like, well, if this other therapy is a tenth the cost and is you know an alternative here, I've got to come down. I think the other thing that's really starting to happen is the variability of how I can pay and where I can pay for my drugs. So I think the two big trends we're seeing at a macro scale, one are these really great sort of cash options. In certain categories now, you've seen maybe Roman, Alto, Hims, Hers, you know, they're going category specific and they're trying to create a great consumer experience and and make it cash. And if I've got a high deductible plan, that's a great option for me. Or maybe the good RXs of the world and change the market, but driven on transparency to say, hey, here's all the pharmacies around you. If you use this coupon, this is what you could pay. You know, how does your insured benefit compared to other option? What's the best pharmacy? Should you do mail order? And then driving that back to the plan design and manufacturers to be more competitive, to really think about that on a dollars and cents basis, not just the tier opposed to I'm $200 versus 20. I better come down and be more competitive. And I think that's really the world we're headed into. You are talking to somebody who just read the Senate briefing, the Wyden and Grassley Senate briefing on Savaldi. And, you know, that bears out to a large extent what you're you're saying. And and that Senate report, and I'm happy to send it to anybody who who wants it, it's fascinating. It shows how in the absence of competition, how the Hep C drug, the first one on the market, was priced like wildly over any estimate of value. Like wildly, like double. It was crazy, right? And it, it, you know, bankrupted states and governments and, uh, you know, to a hugely negative effect. Then what wound up happening was, you know, other competitors started coming out on the market. And guess what? The price plummeted. Bingo. I mean, there was some machinations involved in there that you can read all about them. But at the end of the day, the price of those hep C meds, it was subject to price competition. But this is what I want to ask you, Carm. Specialty drugs, and I'm not talking about infused products. Let's stick with the pharmacy, you know, things that are prescribable. But, you know, specialty drugs are increasingly becoming a larger and larger share of overall drug spend. Absolutely. And the issue with them, like, for example, I'm thinking of drugs for cystic fibrosis. Let's just pick that one out of a hat. I mean, actually, the clinical profile is pretty good. But if you look at there's 35,000 people in the United States that need a drug for cystic fibrosis, for example, and only 18,000 of them can afford it. So, you know, you have somebody like, you know, CAP or experts in, in drug pricing saying, well, that's an indication that the drug is wildly overpriced. But then you get a company that's just like, well, tough toenails. You want it, you got to pay for it. Yeah. There is no competition. How do you, and there's a lot of drugs in, you know, that kind of similar. How do you see that playing out? I don't have, I mean, this is a really tough topic. Competition is great. I mean, I think we all can just look at the data and say, oh my gosh, you know, we want to have a competitive environment. 
for all drugs where there's one, two, three therapies, and that will help drive down the cost. And, and it's proven out. Sivaldi is the great example of that. In those cases where it's not, and where we are really heading into this world, and I, the second thing I'd say is when it's curative, I think that's the other really, I mean, you look at these you know, gene therapies. I mean, just a quick anecdote. I mean, they've essentially cured sickle cell anemia. And I was at the presentation by Boston Children's at JP Morgan when they presented it. People were crying in the audience when they presented the results. Oh my gosh, you know, we just cured this disease. And so you're sitting here saying, well, what's the economic cost, right, of doing these things? My only thing I can come to a conclusion about when we don't have rich competition driving down that cost is moving into value. You know, the government's got to, people have got to stand up and say, look, and I think it's starting to happen. We're saying, look, if the drug doesn't work, if it isn't actually true, if it doesn't do what it's advertised to do, we're not paying for it. Other countries have started to lean into this. And I think that's the only real alternative we have today because it has to be value. If you're not substantially changing the clinical endpoint for that patient and improving their, you know, improving their health dramatically or curing them, we're not going to pay for that. And that's like everything else in our life, right? If something doesn't work, we return it and we get our money back. Do you think that by having this information be transparent and by having physicians actually understand how much some of these drugs cost, maybe the ones that are just unaffordable for patients, you know, irrespective of their value, they're just unaffordable, then you also enable physicians to either make a value assessment and not write it because they don't, patient really doesn't need it. It was kind of a nice to have and or complain. Yeah, I think when I look at this, I sort of say, can we just start with first principles here and, and start to rebuild from a patient-specific viewpoint? I think it's tough today because we don't really think about you know, socioeconomic factors, right? What's your real affordability of these drugs? What can you really pay? And there's all these weird things like we've built copay assistance programs and financial assistance programs for manufacturers to try to help the underserved and sort of these high-cost issues. I just really say, like, we've got to ground up this. We've got to start listening more to doctors and their frustration about high cost, as well as consumers, and think about new economic models that really rationalize what we're up against, opposed to just, and this mentality of, I'm going to just keep, you know, I'm a manufacturer, I'm just going to keep hammering to get my drug on tier two on every plan I can. And, you know, that's the way we work, right? It's just, I mean, does that even make sense? It doesn't. Like, we don't want that. I think about a, a dynamic, real-time world where it's much more thoughtful and sort of looking at a patient saying, well, what's your socioeconomic, what can you really pay? And what should your employer cover? And how dynamic, right, should these prices be opposed to just locking you into some, you know, archaic economic model that doesn't even make sense for you? We've got a world now where consumerism in healthcare is going to stay. We've got a GDP problem that we've got to fix. And this is really that great rationalization that I'm talking about that has to happen in this industry to really move us into the next evolution where you've got dynamic pricing, you've got transparency, and you're moving into a value-based world and you pay for what you get. So if I'm an IDN, you know, an integrated delivery system, a health system, not necessarily an individual prescriber, why do I care? Why do I want to spend the time and energy to stick something in my EHR system that helps prescribers understand what the drug costs are for patients? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I always go to the administrative burden first. That means they're getting more efficiency per square foot, right, out of their labor force, out of their clinicians and clinical staff and doctors. And so I think that's number one. I think number two 
is everybody's leaning into value, right? ACOs, risk-based models. This is your toe in the door. And do you really, how are you going to operate in that world? You need to have a transparent world to successfully operate under risk. We come into a lot of systems and say, look, where you're taking risk, this is great because now you're driving at the lowest cost option for the patient. And that could be for your own employee plan or the plan that you've just started. Beyond that, as you start to look at full risk-based populations, these types of tools are not a, a nice to have, a necessity. If a, a health system's under full risk for that patient, including pharmacy, they better know the cost of those drugs. And that, that's also access, right? Where they want the patient on the drug, they want to drive the adherence because that's going to keep the cost down and lower readmissions or other additional issues if the patient isn't non-adherent. That's why there's such a huge benefit here of bringing these types of data and technologies to the point of care as part of these you know, prescribing workflows. Yeah. You know, I think that pharmacy is different than the way that the medical side of the equation works because the patient does have the opportunity prior to the transaction completing to say, no, I don't want to pay for that. Whereas on the medical side, as is famously discussed, the patient only figures out how much it costs after the services are rendered. So I think what's going to be really interesting, maybe you should start like an MRI review, (laughs) you know, and I'm saying this in all seriousness, like if there's a health system that really cares about transparency, they would have at the point of care and provide to the physician, the prescriber, how much it costs for the treatments that they're recommending also, wherein the health system is going to benefit from it. So... Yeah. Yeah. And I I think you're spot on. Everybody wants it. We need it. It'll make doctors better. It'll make patients healthier. So that's the future I'm I'm very hopeful for. I hope somebody gives that memo to the AHA. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) So, Carm, is there anything that you want to mention about RX Review that we haven't talked about? Just that we're really, I would say, one of the leading companies aggressively trying to bring transparency to the point of care. We're, you know, you might have seen the press two weeks ago, we're over 100,000 doctors in our network. We've done over 10 million transactions this year alone, um, and we're growing rapidly. And so if you're PBM, a payer, an employer, a health system, we love to connect with you and see how we can help. You can go to our, our website, rxreview.com. So that's rxrevu.com. Carm Huntress, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. Thanks, Stacey. Great talking to you. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.